0: The motto on the official coat of arms for Derry reads in Latin, Vita, Veritas, Victoria, which translates into life, truth, victory. All very impressive traits, but culturally, let's just say that Derry has other undertones. I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. Elle traîne dans le cimetière
1: Trois fois par semaine au moins À l'heure qu'elle
0: préfère Juste après-midi Let me tell you a little bit about Damien O'Neill. All right, so Damien O'Neill is best known as the lead guitarist and co-founder of the legendary band The Undertones, one of Northern Ireland's most successful bands. The Derry Outfit got their start in 1974 and featured Damien's brother John on rhythm guitar. Now, The Undertones pretty much tore things up, releasing nearly 15 singles and four classic albums, which still sound as vital today as they ever have. I mean, putting it simply, the undertones are one of the greatest bands of all time, and their exhilarating blend of pop and punk remains as dynamic and rousing as ever. The original lineup called it a day in 1983. However, a revamped version of the band would reform years later and put out two excellent albums which are strong additions to the band's legacy. The O'Neill brothers went on to form That petrol Emotion, who pretty much ruled college radio in the late 80s and early 90s, putting out 15 singles and six fabulous albums, including Manic Pop Thrill and Babble. O'Neill stays pretty busy, putting out solo albums, playing in a band called The Everlasting Yeah, and keeping the undertones going on a full-time basis. O'Neill's new album, End Crown, is a largely instrumental affair that was recorded at his home and features acoustic guitars, mandolin, bass, organ, vibraphone, toy marimba, glockenspiel, melodica, mouth organ, squeeze box, and so much more. Influenced by French, Japanese, American, and British music, O'Neill's new album demonstrates that he's one of our great composers. His compositions are thoughtful arrangements that evince poetry, narrative dexterity, and musical finesse. The songs are melodic and harmonic soundscapes that evoke verdant vistas, Tokyo nightclubs, and Parisian waterways. This is one of the most compelling albums of 2023, put together by one of the true masters. As for the personality of Derry that I mentioned in the introduction, well, let's let Damien tell us about that. I'm from California. I know nothing of Derry. So let's get to it. Me and Damien O'Neill having a chat right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast.
1: cold and wet you tend to pick up the guitar more <laughs> and stay in at night and mess about with things whereas if it's nice and sunny you, you go out and um, you know you just forget about music or, or whatever you know you do things you during the summer particularly you'd uh, go for long walks with your family or go away for breaks and stuff so yeah it's it well, i think winter's what well, you're more creative during winter definitely
0: yeah, you're almost you're almost forced into um, creativity because of the yeah. weather, yeah. you know. Um, can you, when you listen to some of your music, can you hear the time, the time period, or the weather in which it was recorded? Can you, in your back of your brain, <laughs> you know?
1: Uh, well, a lot of um, well, actually, this my last solo record on Kron. Um, I think that was done uh, mainly during winter time think Um, I say over it was done over actually about a two-year period really Um, a lot of it was done during lockdown as well so even if the weather wasn't good or if the weather was good you didn't really get out much or you know because you were kind of you know everybody was scared of going out actually and you weren't allowed to be socializing so a lot of the, the last solo record was done during lockdown basically
0: so it didn't really matter what the weather was you find that you're in terms of your discipline. You you seem like a guy who always has a guitar in your hand. Do you? Are you one of those guys that puts it down for a couple?
1: Oh no, yeah, dude. No, actually, I'm not that. I I do. I love. I have to play guitar every day. Yes, I have to noodle a bit, but not not incessantly. No. Um. I mean, I always remember hearing about Jay Maskis from Down so Junior. Would yeah They ours just, and you could tell, you know. The fast, how fast he can play but he would he would just jam on his own for hours or take the guitar back to the hotel room at, at during, after sound check or after the gig and just jam on his own not plugged in or anything I wouldn't I'm not that obsessive um, but I just yeah I do you know you pick it up during the day and even just five minutes and then put it back down but if you come up with something nice or like, you think it's good then you you get really you know excited and you build on it and record it and whatever. And that could turn into a song or an instrument or whatever.
0: What do you think of someone like Mascus is playing? How would you how would you describe amazing, that?
1: He's an amazing player. Oh, God. Actually, one of the loudest. <laughs> well, everybody says that about dinosaurs. I've ever seen him in uh, some small album in London for the first time in the late 80s. I don't think my ears ever recovered from it. It was the loudest band. Um no, he's an amazing guitarist. Oh yeah, I mean an acoustic guitar playing as well. Oh he's he's up there. He's he's incredible. Um that fast thing though, it's not, it's not my my bag. That's not my thing. You know I I I prefer kind of so more soulful players or you know I'm not interested in fastness and how fast you can do a riff or how fast you can do licks. it's, it's gotta come I mean don't get me wrong, Mascus is a beautiful acoustic guitar player as well. So he's got soul as well. But um yeah, uh I, I tend to uh like I say go for more I, I like I like little riffs that are easily to replicate, you know. Um I mean our our influences back in the day, the Undertones, this is would have been we loved I mean we loved ignestigious. So we loved we loved Ron Ashton's plan. And it was kind of very basic um because you didn't you could tell he wasn't a great musician but that's why we loved about it but whatever he played was just incredible and we loved um a jewel guitar thing going on especially uh, uh new york dolls you know between Th- mm. thunders and sylvain sylvain and also particularly with mc5 the mc5 particularly that back in the usa album we adored that record we played it to death and we would You know, end up doing four or five songs at the Casbah, the place, the residency we did in in Derry for a couple of years before we got signed. So, yeah, we love, I love, you know, what I liked about those bands and the guitar players are, I mean, apart from Thunders, who you can't replicate, he's got his own unique, but I love the looseness, maybe, of Jolly Thunders and Keith Richards, of course. There's that looseness going on, but it's not, you, you wouldn't say it's a technically brilliant. But it doesn't it that doesn't matter that really doesn't matter
0: a lot of Americans in that in that uh, list of, a lot uh... of Americans we 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 adored American
1: music uh a lot I mean we actually we back in the early days of punk, the punk the holy Trinity for us was the MC5 Stooges and and New York dolls really honestly that's God's honest truth I mean of course there was British bands we loved the stones um and we loved um but it's some pretty things the 60s Mm. Um, uh, them Van Morrison's them, of course. Uh, for for various reasons, but particularly before he he went solo, I said we love all that the, the R and B R and B stuff. Doctor Feelgood Good, great. Again, Wilco Johnson another an amazing um guitar player, unique, you know, because he kind of played without a plectrum, and he kind of played with his thumb and fingers. Uh, Peter Green is another. Well, for me, I loved how his style of playing Peter Green from Fleetwood Mac. Um, uh, yeah, if you, you could, if you name players, I could tell you, yeah, they're they're my kind of thing.
0: What did you think of the, uh, was it Andy from Gang of Four? Oh, yeah. Funny, I, I
1: didn't really get into Gang of Four until a couple of years after their records. Um, uh, yeah, that staccato thing was, again, unique. Loved it, loved it, yeah. But I didn't get it at the time. I don't think I appreciated it. Gang of four until I was in that petrol motion, um, because we were, I think uh, the Andrews we were a wee bit blinkered in our tastes. We weren't very uh, eclectic. We we were stuck to our own genre. You know, we we weren't very open minded. Maybe is what I'm trying to say, it wasn't until later, it, with that petrol motion, that I kind of soaked things in more. You know, through the band members telling me, oh, you should hear this. You should hear or the birthday
0: party or a gang of four yeah what is your relationship to your instrument now because i'm a writer and i find that i've gotten better as a writer at knowing what i don't want on the page right i don't allow that i i know what i don't i know what i won't let in um it doesn't mean i'm any close any closer to mastering what does come in but i just know what shouldn't be there um So that's the deepening of my relationship with writing it. So it's still as mysterious as ever. In in terms of your relationship to the guitar, how has that changed or deepened or broadened in the last... Um,
1: I've, I'm
0: have i a bit more experimental
1: than I used to be, maybe. And I, I maybe I, you could probably tell that maybe in the last record as well. Um, I'm more open to open tunings mm. as well. I think we could, you could come up with some amazing things on weird, weird, not even open tunings, but weird tunes. So sometimes I deliberately tune strings to anything I felt like and then mess about and you might come up something amazing. Um, you know, I, again, during the Petrels, we, we, we were big fans of Sonic Youth because uh, they did weird tunings and you could tell, you know, their sound. And that, that Thurston Moore and um, Lee Ronaldo, yeah. they were just again that they had this beautiful thing going on between them sort of discordant but it worked but also they were doing these beautiful beautiful things on the guitar um and i, I love things like that but so i would yeah i would try, experiment by by doing different tunings and hopefully come up with something that might sound weird but also
0: melodic because i still i suppose i still am into team melody because i think the secret as we get older, cause you and I are, in, are around the same age. And I think the secret as we get older is to keep pushing ourselves, right. Just to keep to not, yeah. not do the same stuff. Not That's why yeah. someone like, um, you knew, you knew cackle, right?
1: Yeah. Cal, yeah. Cal was an amazing artist. Yeah.
0: There's so, a guy like I, I sat down and talked to him and I was like, this guy is doing it right because he, he's not repeating himself. He keeps pushing himself into these new places that may be even uncomfortable to, you know, to find your way out of, um, I think that's the answer. Is how is just keep pushing, right?
1: Yeah. Well, I want. That's why I wanted to, this last record is kind of nobody expected it to be It's kind of um, because it's all instrumental for start, but it's quite different. A lot some of the tracks are different from the ending I've done before, and it's a bit funky at times as well. A bit of Irish. There's a lot of Irish influence. I just wanted to go down that road because because I wanted to. Beat some, do something different from the last solo record I did, which was in 2018, which is more like a a covered old undertones, petrol songs that I'd written, plus some new stuff. Um, I wanted to get away from that song, song based thing. I just, I really felt, um, I just wanted to do an instrumental record, and it had to be a bit different. Uh, so, I don't know where I'll go, go next after this, you know. Um, who knows? I haven't. Funny enough, I haven't been very I haven't been very creative since this record came out. I've been kind of taking a holiday from it. from Not from music, but there's no pressure.
0: There's no pressure to come up with anything, which is fine. Hopefully, I'll get my mojo back soon. Don't you think that the absence of pressure is probably the most perfect environment for to be a conduit for creative things to occur to you?
1: Sometimes, lot um, but then sometimes if there is... Again, when I was... With the undertows and petrels, um, you know, the old thing was you do an album and you tour, and then okay, the record company go, Okay, lads, that failed or that was a success. We need to follow up on that. We need we need another one quick. And you'd go through the whole rigmarole of um rehearsing and trying to come up with things. And sometimes that's good. That's that's because it it forces you to do it. Um I think It was the Undertones. I realized after the second album, Hypnotized, we we signed we left Sire Records and we signed with VMI and we got a sort of big advanced deal. And there wasn't the pressure wasn't on anymore. It was kinda of, we got basically got a little bit lazy, dare I say. It. And I think it reflected in the music a bit. It um didn't suffered. We changed musically anyway. We were kind of maturing. But I I think we just didn't work hard enough
0: for that album and the one after that, the Senate Pride record. So I think it is good sometimes to have pressure. So because the the paradigm, the music industry has changed so much, the, the paradigm has shifted. So the pressure that's coming would be coming from you. <laughs> you have to apply your own pressure, right?
1: Yeah, because there is no record company. <laughs> right. There is a record company, but you know it's my friend who's, who runs it, Brian O'Neill. Uh, I helped start it with him. So there's no, uh, in a way, I am the record company with Brian.
0: You know, so uh yeah, I could do what I want. I could I could put out a record anytime I wanted as well. Yeah. So you have to be kind of self, like in terms of being self-directed. Like you're the one who has to take yourself aside and say, <laughs> "Let's get here's let's get some work going." Right? It has yeah. to come from you. It has to come from me.
1: Um, but occasionally, yeah, uh, what I, I like collaborating. I mean, people, certain artists, uh, call me up or friends say can you come up with something for this song I, that's i like challenges so i would do that you know I've, I've done a few things in the past which is nice just you know just can you come up with a guitar riff or can you do something for this or not even guitar uh keyboard thing or melodica piece I Me, mean, i've got a melodica which I, I love uh something something like that you
0: know any, anything anything it's nice. kind of to to, to be challenged when you sort of, you were saying that you sort of broke out of that kind of the three minute pop song thing, you sort of spread this out. Like in the new album, there's sort of, um, the new work, there's these sort of like spaghetti Western stuff. And there's all these soundscapes that are so interesting and so cool. Um, when you do that and you kind of blow it open, do you think like, well, now I can't really go back to
1: <laughs>
0: the claustrophobic three minute.
1: Well, uh, you know that's funny. I, I actually am thinking maybe I should. <laughs> maybe it's time to go back to the three minute classical <laughs> you <know>, rock song because <laughs> I've already done that. I've gone there. I've got. I've done that. I've got it out of my system. Maybe it's not. And um, I, you know, and there's still not. I still really admire three minute pop songs or two, especially two two minute thirty pop songs, even better. You know, because I, you know, don't forget, I'm still in the Undertones and we tour, we still play. And we're doing mostly one, one and a half, two minute pop songs from their past, and um, right. they're joyous. They are so joyous. I, I love it. That's why we keep doing it because we, I think we appreciate it now more than we did back then. How good those songs were are definitely, and the joy you bring to people who come to see, pay money to come to see us, it, it's it's wonderful.
0: Yeah, and the undertones are, have always been an an engine of of pop efficiency you know it's sort of like it's amazing what you guys get done in two minutes it's pretty yeah. it's pretty incredible
1: pretty i mean again mostly that's john or john he's he's a songwriting genius in the band you know he came up with most of the hits and, um most songs actually on the on the canon the undertones canon. but he he had this knack of just saying what he wanted to say in two minutes 30 whatever you know and Oh, incredible I wish I had that that talent uh, since then he, he's he got I think he's definitely got bored with that though I don't think he wants to go down that route anymore either which is a bit of a shame because he's he's doing another project now uh, which is quite different from undertone stuff he's been working at that for years hopefully that will see the light of day
0: this this year um, but it's very different from um, Jimmy Jimmy <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah yeah. And you weren't working with him on that. That's his own thing.
1: That's his own thing. Uh, actually, I do have, I think I played bass for one or two tracks. Uh, I can't remember because it's, it's ongoing. It's, he's working on it for the last eight years. So I can't even remember when I played on it or if I'm still on it, even. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I do wish John would come because everybody keeps saying, We Undertones haven't done a new record since 2008, I think with our new, you know our last uh, with paul our singer new singer and uh, everybody keeps saying when are you going to do another record and we go "Ah, oh, yeah yeah we should we should but um i'm still waiting for john to come in with these three minute pops classics but okay let's do this let's do it.
0: but he hasn't <laughs> <laughs> where are the classics where are um, the classics john we have... them in a the room <laughs> <laughs> come with the classics
1: yeah, you're um, not coming out of this room until you come on. Classic.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Something tells me he could do that.
1: I I think he could, but he he just doesn't want to because he's maybe he's done that and he's bored or who knows. You need to ask him that. Yeah.
0: Um, do you like the democracy of a band, like the Brotherhood, the Confederacy, versus working alone? Yeah, I think I prefer it. I, uh, it's hard working on your own. Because
1: you can easily uh, get very self indulgent, disappear up your your arse. You know you can't without guidance. And what I liked about, especially with the underdogs, was you'd always get. Especially, uh, I think Mick, Mickey Bradley, the best player, was brilliant. He he would tell you <laughs> quite unceremoniously how like, nope, we're not doing that, or change that, or change those words, or that sounds a bit froggy or whatever, you know, he he was the barometer, he, he was the he always kept in the straight and narrow, put it that way um, so I do miss actually, I trust, I tr- especially undertones, i trusted those guys, especially Mickey and John, I'm, I'm Billy actually to a certain extent to tell you if it was good or bad, so when you do things on your own, you know, I do I lack a bit of confidence obviously, so that's kind of maybe it's why I just I'm kind of, I was always used to Getting a guidance, getting more a bit of a feedback from other people. Same with that petrol motion. I got, you know, I I get encouragement from um, Steve Mack or Raymond or whatever. To say, yeah, that's great. Well, we should do this. But uh, I do miss it. Yeah, I, th- I think demo- t- democratic things a- and songwriting is good.
0: Have you have you, in terms of self confidence, did that improve? Um... Yeah, I had no confidence after after the pedals. Actually,
1: I. I was floundering, actually. And then um, I was lucky in a way that, I mean, I did I was working with um, kind of film music as well, uh, with samplers. I was working you know, theme film theme kind of stuff, uh, mostly instrumental. And um, Alan McGee was starting from creation, started up this new label. And he heard it, and he really liked it. So he put it out on CD only. And that was great. That gave me a bit of confidence. You know, it didn't sell, but it didn't care. I got a bit of bit of money, uh, which kept me going for a while. That helped. And then uh, the just around that time, the Undertones started up. And I, I didn't write any songs for the first Undertones new record, you know, uh, with Pop, our singer. So that shows you how I just wasn't confident enough to come up with songs. But by the second album, I think I'm involved in a few. And then, then I think what, what really tipped the balance was when I did a solo single in 2014 on an obscure small label. And um, and it was, I hardly sing on that because it's two songs, a B-side and a-side. And that was weird, singing in the studio. I've never sung before in the studio. You know, I've always had Fergal or Paul or Steve Mack to sing, sing my songs. So I found that hard, but at the same time, it, it, that gave me more confidence. And then that led to in 2018 I did a, a sort of a proper solo album called Refit, Revised, Reprise, and that's me singing like I said earlier most a couple of petrol old petrol songs, a couple of old undertone songs, and new stuff, and, and I really enjoyed that, really really enjoyed. it. So yeah, confidence is slowly it's it's it slowly built, but yeah, it's and I'm definitely confident for, for that new the new album as well. I think we'll think. I wouldn't have done it if I didn't know. I was confident that was that this is actually good.
0: So really, the the roots of the confidence is really from the pop tone release yeah. all the way through. Um, yeah. And what's really interesting to me about that, Damien, is that you're talking about you know um, a long a long time for the confidence well, to build. Oh, definitely. It was.
1: It's. I think it's a. I hate to say it, I think it's a. <laughs> it's a dairy disease, this lack of confidence. There seems to be something in the water in Derry. Because our John, you know, this is the guy who wrote all those hits. He wrote Teen his kicks, ghetto, you, you know, you name it. He definitely lacked even less confidence than me after we split, after the Anderson split. He went back to Derry and um, just, he, would, he wanted to give up music altogether. He was just, lost the passion. Didn't think he was any good. and. I think the petrols fortunately the petrels given him that kickstart again to start writing songs. Um but he, he lacks a, he definitely lacks confidence as well. You know, he still he was still rubbish some of the stuff he wrote years ago. Go, oh, that's okay there. That's a rip-off of we're not as good as blah blah blah. You know, he was always constantly being quite negative. And I I think that's a dairy thing. Really, or maybe it's an Irish thing. But it. no, it's definitely I think it's it's particularly prevalent up North in the north of Ireland,
0: but particularly in Derry, and I have no idea why it's really sad, yeah. Because I, as a journalist, every time I interviewed someone from Manchester, I was always like, God, these guys are intimidating, they're so yes, much,
1: arrogance, so, cocky.
0: yeah, like cocky. But then I didn't realize that it's also like it's a pose, like it's probably well, like that's, a pose. that's yeah. a pose, right? Um, but they scared me to death when I was a young journalist, I was like, These guys are freaking me out, um. But it's opposed, pose. But the, so it, it isn't. You know, it's interesting how there's a kind of regional attitude. But yeah. you're saying with, with dairy, it's it's really the opposite, where it's sort of like this kind of self-effacing. Yeah, self-effacing for sure.
1: Uh, and it might be, be another reason, maybe um, punk, because we start. You know, we we were we were a night night punk band at the start, the very start when we were playing the Casbah, and we get dogs abuse. You know, on in the street, people would be slagging you off, and even the dogs and the dogs themselves would be barking at you. You know, because you looked weird, a bit weird. well, not not weird. You had straight, short hair, and straight jeans. But that could give you, give you a real kicking. You know, back then, and people didn't like us. Didn't like our music. Thought it was you know, punk was ridiculous. That kind of safety pin through your nose, kind of comic book thing. Um and i think that knocked us for six you know we we didn't really believe in ourselves and, I, and like i say it took us until we broke up and 20 years later we reformed again to realize how good those freaking songs are you know?
0: well you know what's weird is that like you say you say it about the self confidence but yet when i listen to the undertones all i hear is confidence like all i hear That's is it, it's so weird like i, I hear muscle and belief
1: yeah well I, I do agree the first album particularly it's got that because it, it was knocked out quick it's got that bravado thing going, yeah yeah, you're right, but uh, I think outwardly we we would never say to people uh oh, we're we're better than them or we we definitely in our, in ourselves we lacked lacked the confidence definitely 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 even though pe- people might have got that from us you know to watch to look at us i I th- say the only person that did have confidence I have to say was Fergo. Berger was uh, from day one. Maybe because he used to sing when he was a kid at the uh, thing called the FESH, the Sterey Irish Music Festival. You know, uh, he, he was winning cups and medals back then because he had this great, amazing voice. So he had bags of confidence and he was a tough one. And, you know, he was, he could, he could hold his own when it came to a fight as well.
0: Oh, he was also a tough guy. Uh,
1: yeah, he didn't look that, he looked skinny and scrawny, of course, but, uh, he, he was involved in fights uh, because he kind of looked a bit weird. So he was picked on, but he, he learned to scrap. Yeah. 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 He, he was, he could fight back very as good as he got. So yeah. Uh, he, and he, he didn't lack confidence. So he was the only one actually I have to say in the band. And uh, and that's probably why he was the singer. I think actually to be a singer, you have to have a bit of bravado for sure.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it's it, yeah, that's so true. I agree with you. It's like you're you're the one uh, selling it the yeah, most media. I mean, a bit of an actor, yeah. Actually, in fact, you have to be a bit of an
1: actor. Uh, very, I mean, you know. Again, when I and that solo album of the re- refit, Revised, reprise album, when the the one where I sing, I I find that so hard to do, and I really it made give me a different appreciation of what our proper singers are like. You know what they have to go through to re- to to put your voice on vinyl or on on the tape, you know, it's, 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 it
0: is, it's difficult. Being a singer is really difficult, which I didn't appreciate before. I grew up a huge fan of The Replacements. Remember that band? Yeah. 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 And I remember I got the Please to Meet Me record in 87. And I read this article where Paul Westbrook said there's this really slow ballad called Skyway. And he said that he went into the studio in the middle of the night when he knew nobody would be there. And he and he delivered this beautiful, brittle, vulnerable vocal, but he had to do it alone. No, right. <laughs> so no. when you were doing your vocals, did you, because you were, was that by yourself or was there, were there people around you? Yeah, there was just the engineer, just the engineer. So just me and the
1: engineer. Oh, no way would I sing if other people were there. No. Really? No, no. No, no way <laughs> I would be mortified. <laughs> no, I couldn't do that, <laughs> but you did like it i i i wouldn't say I liked it I had to do it, put it that way. <laughs> it, because they were you know I was singing songs, it had to be done um i, I didn't know anybody else who would sing them, so I had to do it yeah, uh, but I, maybe, that's yeah, probably explains. I, you know it probably explains why I went on did an instrumental record after that
0: <laughs> it kind of put me off <laughs> <laughs> well it's yeah it's interesting though I like I like the fact that you put yourself in a place of discomfort to create yeah
1: yeah I think it did yeah it was I really when I before it came out I was what I didn't know how it was going to go down um you know with Never mind, me critics. more importantly, with friends, and friends of mine, and actually, again, uh, my I've got a really good friend, the bass player from that period of motion, Brandon Kelly. He's great taste in music, and I give it to him first before it came out. And I says, "Well, just tell tell me, be brutally honest, is this okay?" And he got back to me says, "This is fantastic, Damien. It's the best work you've ever done." And then ran right away, the relief was like, oh, my God. So it's been worth it, you know, just for, for Brendan's approval. It's definitely
0: been worth it. So, yeah, it was uh, that was a great feeling. Did it surprise you how much that meant to you to hear?
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Again, it must be that lack of confidence thing. I don't know. I can't explain it. Uh, even though I knew inside me, it, it this is really good, you know. And my, my wife, of course, loved it and, my daughter heard, and she was thinking, "This is good," but I, ah, you're only saying that because you're my family. Or <laughs> when my friend says, and he wouldn't, he if it wasn't good, he'd tell me. When he confirms it, then that, that that was probably the best, the best news
0: I could have. Is there a kind of humility that's baked into dairy? Like you, even that <laughs> you sit in your parents and your parents' friends and your yeah. Is there? Maybe in our family there is, for sure.
1: Um, I don't know. I can't explain why. My mom and dad weren't weren't musicians or anything, or you know they they were just a good couple. They we, they were nice people and we were um I, you know all my siblings. None of us are are um, cocky people, so maybe it's, it's just runs in the family.
0: Um, in terms of of your friendships, do you you seem like someone who's kept your friendships up with people? Like, are you? I was, yeah, like think so. Friends are really important. So you have a real—you um, find that you really rely on your friends so much for your right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. God, where would you be without friends? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's
1: of course. I mean, it was, I hated—I hated COVID and lockdown and all because you—you you weren't allowed to see your friends. That was tough, except through Zoom or whatever. That was really tough. The physical contact crucial.
0: Yeah, I know that that is brutal. But I, I did feel I did feel that during that time period, musicians, artists, could commiserate with each other because they understood the you know the scary part of like you know I'm not making money, I'm not making art, I can't I can't get out there, and it must have been terrifying. Yeah, it was particularly um, the undertones because we were to, we'd done a,
1: quite a lot of tours. The Momentum was getting bigger, and we we're getting more people, and then when COVID hit. That was it. We took a year off, didn't do anything. Well, we took one gig, I think, just before COVID hit in the January. January, actually, that was it. We did a festival in January and then locked down in March. And we didn't play again until the following July, you know, some, some summer festival the following year. So that was tough. That was tough. Not, and not seeing the other guys as well, because they, they're like a family to me, you know, we really are. Um, not seeing them. I miss them. I really miss them. I i I love being in a band. I think is what I'm trying to say. I love being in that pedal motion as well. I loved because uh, again, and we're very close friends still. Um, you know, your 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 blood brothers, so to speak, and your your buddies. You miss. I miss them. So when you don't, when you don't see each other for a while. It's you kind of you mourn from them, so so to speak. Yeah, there there is that brotherhood, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's great. It's like a gang. It's like a gang's back together again. And, you know, you only do, on the chance we only do like three shows maybe at a weekend and then we part company again and you don't see each other for maybe an hour, two or three weeks or even another month or two. But that doesn't matter. We got to see each other. We had a bit of fun, had a laugh, and then you take a break. That That's great. You don't need to be in each other's pockets like we were back in our heyday. And that was, you know, we didn't really, I don't think we, well, I enjoyed the, the first, the first inception of internships when we, you know, when we were successful, I had a great time because I was the youngest. Uh, I wasn't attached. I didn't have a girlfriend at the time, so uh, I didn't. have... The others were all kind of um, wanting to get home to because they missed their wives and girlfriends. And I just I was like what? Come on, you're in your twenties, <laughs> <20s>. enjoy yourself, <laughs> go and see the world. But no, they they didn't want to see it like that. They couldn't for some And now they some some of them have told me they regret that now. You know, we could have, for instance, we, we were offered six weeks to first time in America to tour with the Clash 1979, six week tour of the Clash, uh, both coasts in the, mid, in the Midwest. <laughs> and we, the certain two members of the band didn't want to do six weeks away from home, so we compromised. We only did two, we only did the East Coast leg of the tour. Imagine that we turned down four weeks extra with the class. Imagine what That would have been like, it would have been incredible. But no, that's, that's the way it was then.
0: <laughs> Mad, isn't it? <laughs> it, Yeah. But do you think that when you, when you finally had your first serious girlfriend, did you go, oh, okay, I see what there, I see uh, what. No, well, actually not really.
1: Oh, actually, my first serious girlfriend was American. <laughs> so we had a long distance thing going on for a while. So, yeah, a little bit. I guess it did a little bit. But no, not to that extent. They, John and Billy, basically, is who I'm talking about here, they they were obsessed about getting home. And uh, I just didn't get that. You know? I really don't. And detriment to the work as well, because we turned down lucrative things. Yeah, go to Japan. We never went to Japan, because they didn't want to go. Daft, you know? like Most bands would give their right arm to, to do, you know? And we were turning... Loads of work done. It's self-defeating.
0: It's weird, Damien, because I always thought, like, the whole point of, of being in a band is to sort of spread out and take over the world. Yeah.
1: Yeah, not us. We, we, <laughs> we were anti-band. We were, I don't know, anti-pop stars, maybe. I can't explain it. Again, maybe that's the confidence thing as well. Um, but uh, to be fair, Dungeons had a neat, had a good life, a good longevity. Je- I don't think we would have lasted much longer anyway, but it was just as well we never had a big hit, like a huge, huge number one, cause we would have split up, I think. You know, say Teenage Kicks was was number one, you know, all around the world or in America or, or even in Europe. Uh, I don't know. Would we have a career after that? We, it would have been. I don't think we were ever destined to be you 2 You know, we just didn't have that mindset. We had that self-effacing thing, pu- uh, very punk ethos. Anybody can do it. We're not anything special. Whereas we're just like the audience, we even dressed just like the audience, you know, we didn't, we dressed down, we didn't, we weren't, fashion sense wasn't great, we also, we didn't care, that didn't matter. The whole idea was just, anybody can do that, could you, you know, you're watching that band, you could be up there as well, because you're just like him, you know, you're just like him. So that was, that was our ethos, you know, we're we're nobody special, but we were, because we were writing these great songs, you know.
0: Yeah, which have stood the test of time. So the Undertones has never really had a battle plan. Oh, God. Our, <laughs> you were our manager now. he would be spluttering in his tea.
1: <laughs> so many meetings where he would be saying, right, we need a battle. We need this strategy where we're going to do this and that. And, and I pro- I'd probably fall asleep. And the, the drummer would be arguing about being away from home too long. and You know, he got so frustrated. He just sort of more or less give up by the end. <laughs> no, nah, well, like I say, we were never going to work our, our arses off. We were never going to be like you two who really, really wanted it. We could tell from day one that they wanted it. You know, they wanted to be big. We were never going to play the game, is what I'm saying.
0: But that Petrol Motion seemed like, it seemed like you guys did get out there. Yeah, we we had more. I, I, also, we had more fun. I had more fun with the Petrols. Yeah, we
1: toured more. We were more, we worked harder. Uh, unfortunately, with the Petrols, we never had that uh, hit single, even in Britain, that hit single, that could propel us to a different level. So after the momentum built, you know, the first two albums, we we, we kind of slid downwards on a downward slide with uh, the third album, End of Millennium Psychosis Blues. And then we, we kind of went up a wee bit with Kemi Crazy, which we recorded with Scott Net in um, L.A., you know, so we had Virgin Records behind us, lots of money, a lot of money spent, and we did a big American tour. We So we did work, but it just didn't catch on. You know, it just, for some reason, the gods were against us. And then after that, we kind of, we, we lasted for another one studio album, but it, it was, it was kind of, we knew the writing was on the wall. Well, so it was just bad
0: luck. I feel like wasn't Fergal's first solo album also on Virgin? Or am I wrong? Am I? Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, and that was a big success. He had a yeah. number,
1: one, number one hit in various countries. Yeah.
0: And again, confidence. Like that record is yeah. a very confident record.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, it w- wasn't my thing. You know, I didn't really particularly like it. I, I always thought Fargo would have been better singing more bluesy stuff. He's got an amazing bluesy voice. Or even, even dare I said Irish traditional songs, because I've heard Fargo back in the 80s singing these amazing Irish songs. Uh, and he's just got the chops, you know, the guy's got, he's a a fantastic singer. So no, I wasn't that keen on Fergal's uh, first, or even his two albums, whatever he made. There's two, yeah. Yeah, I just thought they were a a little bit too M.O.R. for my liking. They were pretty glossy. Yeah, the production, I think, very 80s, big, big drums production, kind of, you know, polished, too polished for my liking.
0: Are you in... and do you still talk to Fergal? Are you guys in touch? And... Uh no, last
1: time I would have seen Fergal properly would have been John Peel's funeral mm. uh, in two thousand four, whatever or five, whenever it was. Uh just sort of seen him in the church. We were in the church, and actually, I went. Me and Mickey went over and shook his hands. Said so and that was it. So no, I don't think we'll ever talk or see each other. No, he's. He's gone on to other things now. You know, he's quite a he's he's quit the music business, but he's quite a big shot in uh, working with um, clean, cleaning up water. We've got a lot of problems here with sewage, and and he's he's a a big campaigner to uh, you know campaigning against sewage in the water, which is a great, great admirable thing to be doing. So you know, good luck to him.
0: I had that sort of romantic idea where I had that myth making thing where I want every one of my favorite bands to stay friends.
1: <laughs> yeah, sorry to tell you,
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but you know, at least that's only Fergal. because it was obvious when we we split the Fergal was going to go, go solo. He he he, you know, he was more ambitious. Put it that way, he was more ambitious, and he wanted to to make a bit of money. And then you know, it's like okay, uh, but you know, even during the longevity of the band, <clears throat> there was always a division. There was always Fergal, and then there was the four of us. Uh, why was that? I'm not sure. Maybe it goes back to the fact that we were into football, some, you know, sport and football. Fergal wasn't. Um, he was quite aloof. He, I don't know. We, we were always a bit different. Fergal didn't write the songs either. You know, that's very important. Um, and because I think if Fergal wrote, co-wrote songs, I think we would have been more bonded together a bit more, but he didn't.
0: And also the idea that you know that Steve Steve is American, right? Steve is American from Seattle, yeah. Right from Seattle. So what was it like to sort of have that sort of the kind of dairy <laughs> humility oh, with because Americans can be fairly confident people, I think. Oh yeah, Steve had bags of confidence. Uh, we and uh,
1: optimism. I love. That's what I lot, I think it's what appealed to us. But Steve, you know, because our job could be quite negative, as I mentioned earlier, and put things down a lot, put us down. Whereas Steve was the antithesis. He was, uh, he was, yeah, come on, guys, we could do this, and I love that. I I really really love that. I think we all love that about Steve. Um, you know, and he grew in strength from as a vocalist as well. The more we we you know, longer we went on. See again, he lacked confidence because he, it was his big shoes to fill. You know, he 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 was going to be compared to Fergal, of course, because there was two ex-members of the Undertones in that petriot. So uh, and he had never sung professionally in a band. Well, you know, he'd been in bands, but he'd never been, never made a record. So he was he was shitting himself at the start. You know, and it took a while for him to find his voice, proper voice, and, and he was just a fantastic frontman and a great singer. Couldn't. Ask for better, you know. Now, we it was real fun to be with Steve in the band. Just the fact he was American, just didn't you know, he could have been Irish, it didn't matter. It was, it worked. Are you in touch with that guy? Oh, god, yeah, Steve's. In fact, Steve's turning 60 this year, and he's um, he's having a big birthday bash, um, in uh, Palm Springs, California. And he's invited all his mates down from Seattle because he lives in Seattle still. But me and my wife and uh, another good friend, Nick, we're going to fly over to Palm to Seattle and then down to Palm Springs for his birthday bash. So yeah, we're still friends.
0: No, that's that's actually really that's really cool. Um, And you you came from a big family. You 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 two brothers that were musicians, right? And then is it just the three of them? Yeah, three three brothers and a sister.
1: Yeah, uh, two two. My eldest brother Jim was, um, he was a f- kind of folk, folky. He loved. He was he always played acoustic guitar, and um, he was into kind of uh, Leonard Cohen, Cat Stevens, you know that era, in the, uh, early seventies kind of stuff. He he's he's older. He's a good six years older than me. I think. Um, so he was he was he was in that early seventies folky scene, um, but because he had an acoustic guitar lying around the house, that's when John and Vincent, my older brother, and me would pick up and start messing about you know, on the gut string acoustic guitar. Um, so yeah, to, Vincent as well was actually, my older brother was in was in the early days, the undertones, but then he left, I replaced Vincent because uh, he, he had a kind of, my mom made him leave because he had to study for his um his O-levels, you know, for example. <laughs> so poor Vincent, forced, was forced to leave.
0: Much to my benefit. <laughs> so with a with and I'm trying to figure out because it seems like with a big family like that that you would be comfortable in a band like it like you're not going to be Nick Drake you know working by yourself in a bedroom. No, no, no. that was
1: that was great because uh, yeah we all we all would um, meet in the living room we would all t- play records th- three of us three brothers that is because by this time our our gym. He'd moved to Manchester University. He'd moved away. So we were just music mad through me, Vincent and John. And then, you know, we'd met Billy and, and um, Mickey. Mickey was Vincent's best friend. And then Fergal came along through Billy. And it, we'd all just meet in that, congregate in our living room, in our house, and just play music and talk about music and talk, a dream about being in a band. So it was all, you know, spur of the moment thing. But it it just mushroomed in the, in the fact that we became a band a real proper band. it was great
0: in terms of keeping up with what's going on nowadays do you do you ask your daughter like hey what are you listening to do you like? yeah she, she's she's much more open-minded
1: i mean i've become an old fucky i um i i still listen to the old stuff really i suppose uh, and no i check out you know don't get me wrong i check out watch new and certain radio stations here um my, my daughter's great though. She's she's of that generation where, because you just you know you got Spotify now. She can listen to you. if you like this, you should hear that. And she's very open minded, so she loves folk music. But she love she she likes a bit of rap. But she will like better rock, um rock, um, ethereal music, uh, dance music, whatever, different genres. It's not like back when I was her age. It was all very tribal, you either like that. Or you didn't, and that was it. You know, you weren't you weren't worth talking to. If you if you were a heavy metal fan, then you were my enemy, basically. And <laughs> to a certain degree, it still is like that for me because <laughs> I still hate <laughs> heavy metal. Um, but you know what I mean.
0: It was very tribal back then. Well, back then you could look at someone and you could tell what their record collection was. Probably you probably if you were to guess ten albums that they had based on how they dressed, you'd probably go eight for ten. Yeah, exactly.
1: Um, of course what I liked about punk it was kind of when punk came along it was kind of like the year zero so a lot of dodgy albums that you may have had were suddenly buried or disappeared (laughs) like our John (laughs) our John was because he was a bit older he was a little bit I wouldn't say he was into prog rock but he bought he would expect weird experimental music like um, Argent or Greenslade remember that band Greenslade I don't know if you remember they were a British band It was very keyboardy you know Roger Dean covers and all that kind of thing um but then suddenly like of course when um, when punk hit those records went into the bin <laughs> they're just this, you know it was like ah, we can't we can't even admit to that we got to move you know it's it's punk or nothing it's like ramones buzzcocks sex pistols you know it's or the dolls mc5 but forget about anything from the those dodgy dodgy era the past
0: yeah and i think also what was interesting in ireland in the mid 80s to the early 90s there was a rush of bands like uh is it a house is i can't remember is it i never yeah
1: they they were from uh, dublin yeah
0: yeah them or ghost of american airman and fat lady sings and something happens and a lot of those bands in the 80s yeah i would to
1: be fair to be honest i wasn't that keen on most of those bands you know i just didn't get them I did, uh, what was the other band? Cactus World News. Yeah, I remember them. Yeah, Uh I just didn't like them. I really, I really didn't didn't get it. Didn't get it. Um, uh, there was a band. There was a band in the nineties. I liked them. Um, Something happens. I, I love them. Yeah, they were because they were more poppy, uh, more melodic. Again, reminded me a bit of the Petrels and the Undertones a little bit as well. Uh, it's a shame that they never made it because I thought they had potential. Um, yeah. But there was, you're right, there was a lot of weird sounding band names as well. You know, strange, like Cactus World News. What a terrible
0: name for a band. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. If anybody's listening from Cactus World News, sorry. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm not sure that uh, anyone is, but what <laughs> I agree with you. <laughs> I never understood that name. Um even though I love the Fat Lady Sings, I never loved that name either. It was a strange name. Um yeah. but I, I wondered if that. The reason why i bring that up is i wondered if it sort of kicked over any kind of competitive spirit from you where you went i could do that
1: no yeah what do you mean by by competitive sorry
0: well i guess i guess it's sort of like when all those bands from like 80 maybe 86 to 92 um and that petrol motion was 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 in that was in that the that, that sort of um rush of bands did those bands did you listen to them and go like, "We can, we can do better than that"? We can, did it make you a competitive guy or?
1: Uh, no, no. I think we we're just battling on doing what we were doing. Um, I think Steve, Steve was, Steve Mac was the was the most open minded. Maybe being American, you know, he he would appreciate some of those bands. Maybe or he wouldn't. He wouldn't slag them off maybe as much as maybe we would have. Well, we, I'm not saying in print or anything, but we pu- we probably were quite dismissive when we heard it. We said, oh no, I don't like that one. But Steve would be more open. Um, But no, we we were, we had our own problems. You know, we were trying to get hit singles and we failing visibly. But it became me crazy. We thought we, we really did, but this is 1990. I think we thought we have, finally have a, a chock full of hits here on this album this is Scotland produced it's very poppy this is gonna this is gonna we're gonna hit the big time and then it came out and uh, the single flopped and put another single and that flopped it didn't get any air much airplay over here and we cancelled an American tour and it was just so so disheartening you know it's hard anybody in a band I could tell you if you're in a band it's in the up and then you're suddenly playing to less people and less attention, and the press have written you off, particularly especially the hostile English press who build you up and then knock you down. Then it's 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 tough. It's hard to keep going, and then your record company drops you, of course, which is what Virgin did. It it's, it's it becomes a chore, and then you go, you wonder, you go, is it worth it? Is it worth keeping on together? And so yeah, we we kept, after our, our last two album, we we just said. We handed in the tile and okay, that's it.
0: Time to move on. I love that record. And but you know, I think looking back, and this is the days when those kinds of things mattered, I think the cover of the album didn't do it
1: Yeah. It was totally a disservice
0: agree. to it. Yeah, I'd absolutely
1: agree. Um I wish we did a different cover. Yeah, it was that cartoon. Peter Peter Bagg Brat Peter Bagg, I think, that did, did the cartoon. I think uh, that was I'm not blaming it, it was Raymond's idea to get Raymond was in the comics, and he he loved this artist. So, yeah, in hindsight, not a great cover. not a, That didn't do us any favors.
0: I totally, totally agree. For you, I love that record. I just love it. Virgin um, version Although, I, I,
1: You have to say about that album, what annoys me a bit, because the songs are great, um, but the production, I'm, I think Scott made a mistake, because he, he replaced a lot of drums with sampled drums. And it, it dates it now, you know, if you listen to it, a lot of drums are kind of, they're sampled, you know, Hey Venus particularly, mm. um, and it dates it, and Cairn, it, our drummer, was an amazing drummer, and I don't understand why did Scott Lit do that, when he had worked with R.E.M., R.E.M., right. did sample drums, you know, they used it. Bill Berry, he was one of the greatest drummers ever, why did Scott insist on Maybe we give him guidance. Maybe we perf- told them that Steve Mack thinks we might have done that. We might have said, oh, we're into the Young Gods and all these bands. And they, of course, they're all sampled drums. And maybe he just decided to do it, do it that way. I don't know. But I really regret that because, like I say, the, so- the songs stand up. But the guitar sounds are great. As a guitarist, I, I love
0: I love came Crazy. Yeah, because Lit had just, he had, was coming off of Life's Rich Pageant, right? He had done yes. that, and if you put that record on, the very first thing you hear are the drums. Where you're like, yeah. "These sound amazing." Green, that album, Green, I think yeah, you, you don't. That was a big success.
1: So he was he was flying high. He was a he was he was a VV and producer at the time, and yeah, I don't know. I don't. You, again, you'd, you'd have to ask Scott.
0: Yeah, but <laughs> it's funny. You know, Virgin. I was working college radio. They sent me this T-shirt of the out of the chemical Crazy cover, and I would wear it, and I would get the strangest looks so because it was the album cover. I'm like, this is my favorite album, and people are like, "What is that?" Um, but I had this. And it was a big oversized shirt, and it was so funny. Um, is do you set goals for yourself, or is that do you feel that's a dangerous thing to do? Yeah, no, it's a dangerous thing to do. No, no. Uh, especially now,
1: I've nothing to prove, really. You know, no, I don't set goals. Um, all I wanted for this last album, I just wanted to do my go, My only goal was to make it cohesive and put it put out something that I'd be really proud of in years to come. That was my only goal. And if it sold three records, who cares? At least I'm proud of it. So yeah, uh, I'm in that first position now. You know, I'm I'm, I'm sixty two. I've had a few hits in the past uh, you know and I'm proud of that so I had a bit of success and I still get a little bit of money from that and undertones are still playing live so I've, I I still have that thrill that bowls of being on stage let's see, see a wee bit of the world every now and again you know we do a little bit of turn and that's great I don't you know I, I'm nothing else to prove um, I'm, I'm, I'm a happy person I've got a really lovely family and Life couldn't be any better. So it's great. You know, I'm, I'm so you know, I don't have any I've gotta do, do this goal, I've gotta uh you know I gotta move on to something else now right away. And actually my only my only goal is to, to next thing is to I wanna try and do a book about the Undertones, actually. Um not like Mickey Bradley's book, which came out a few years ago. not like written about the story of the Undertones, but more of a memorabilia book where it's it's Because I, I was the archivist in the band, and I've got um, plenty of scrapbooks, articles, and pictures particularly, uh, camera, but, you know, even even blurred ones. Because I used to take a lot of pictures back then that nobody's ever seen. I'd like to do a it's kind of book, a college book with articles and photos, but then the odd story here and there about, not just about the other shows, but, but things I witnessed or whatever in the you know, troubles you know like Bloody Sunday and things like that and going over to to see um Johnny Thunders and the heartbreakers for the first time in 1977 you know mm. an amazing event which still to me is the best concert I've ever seen so think you know little stories interspersed with all these other undertones articles and I think I want to get that I want I'm working on that right now basically so I want to get that done by by the end of the year Hopefully, get get a publisher to to put it out. That's
0: a good goal. That seems like a very yeah, attainable yeah. goal.
1: I think it is. I think it is.
0: Um, and and last, is so though Thunders didn't disappoint. Jeez, no way. He was
1: God. They were because he, like I said, alluded to earlier. He was one of my guitar heroes. So and Jerry Nolan, of course, was the drummer. Um, no, this okay. I'll take that because I've I've been writing about it recently. It was the fifteenth of October. I know the date, nineteen seventy-seven. And me, my brother Vincent, and a friend of ours, Eugene, we we got the boat, the ferry over from Belf- Larne, Belfast, to Liverpool, Then we got a bus to Manchester. And the reason why we went to Manchester was because my older brother Jim was at university there, so he was able to put us up. So we went to that that concert that night. On the it was a Saturday night, and they were su- uh, Johnny Thorns and Heartbreakers were supported by Susan and the Banshees as well. So we got to see. I mean, wow. Well, that was, they, I mean, they were incredible enough. But they had Johnny Thunder's Heartbreakers come on; they were on fire, absolutely on fire. They, they weren't out of it. They I could. There was no hint of being stoned or anything like that. They were just amazing. Um, Johnny was about two feet in front of me, and I, met, you know, I was just staring at him, going, "This, it's never going to be any better than this." And it never was. That was the greatest show I've ever been to. Was Robert Smith on drums for Susie? No, no, no. This this was uh, the original lineup. They left about a year after that, actually. So this is the original Hong Kong Garden era The Scream album uh, lineup. Brilliant. Can he? Can he? Somebody on drums and the guitar. I Can't remember the guitar player's name. Incredible <laughs> guitarist. He had this kind of weird haircut. Always oh, flopped down over his eyes. And he, you know, beautiful, I mean, if you listen to Hong Kong Garden, the, the guitar and that, and the scream itself, the, the album. Um, yeah, great, great band. And Susie was a mesmerizing performer. Really amazing. What a bill. I know. I know. It's <laughs> crazy. And it, wasn't, it wasn't even that, I mean, it was busy, but it wasn't packed. I think a lot of bands have gone, have gone to... I think the Heartbreakers had played Manchester a few times before that. But I know, I'll tell you who else was there. I found this out later, of course. It was Billy Duffy from The Cult. <laughs> yeah, Whoa. he was there because he talked about it. I, I looked on some website, Heartbreakers' website, and he talks about that show, that very show, because he says, he claims that... There was another band on, by the way, a third band, and the... Sp- the very first band was they were called the Models, they were a punk English punk band, and that featured get this Marco Peroni on guitar who ended up with Adam and the Ant. Right, so apparently Billy Duffy claims that Marco Peroni was was playing Johnny Thunder's uh Les Paul Jr. guitar, you know, during the model set. And I was like, Really, God, you noticed that? I, I didn't notice that myself personally, but I wouldn't have known, I wouldn't have noticed that, I suppose. But uh, I think I'm going. Johnny Thunders would lend a guitar to a band, a, a band you know, maybe, would he? Maybe he did. <laughs> maybe he did. don't know. That's actually really cool if he did. Yeah, he could have, you know, because I also just found that the models were on that tour. There was a full tour, you know, like three weeks. They did every show. So maybe by Manchester, they got to be friends. And
0: it's possible. It is possible. And, and again, talk about confidence. And again, this goes back to like this American thing, but Thunders seemed like he had no shortage of confidence. Oh, no, no, he certainly didn't. Um,
1: and uh, yeah, the sad thing, so you know, that, like I say, that was the best one of the, the best show I've ever seen. But one of the saddest concerts I've ever seen was, was during that Came Crazy recording in 1990, we, or 1989, I think, late 1989. We went to some. Los Angeles suburb to see Johnny Thunders play solo. Ah, oh, God, he was a mess. Ah, oh. oh, he he was falling over. He kept falling over, leaving st- co- leaving the stage and coming back on, and the crowd were booing, and it was so so sad, so so sad. I think he died about a year later, or two after that. So yeah, from the Sublime to the, oh God. Terrible, terrible. I kind of wish I didn't see that. You know, he was a mess. He was a right
0: mess. Yeah, so you saw him at his best and probably at his worst. Uh,
1: Probably at his worst.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's heartbreaking. That's That's a heartbreaking.
1: Yeah. And again, that'll be a footnote to my story. You know, when I write the story about that Heartbreakers gig, about seeing him all those years later, what a mess he was. How were the Clash to you guys? Were they nice? Oh, yeah. Lovely. We were quite shy. We didn't really get to hang out too much, to be honest. Because um, we, we had, we were in the station wagon driving, our manager was driving us around, and they were in this big fancy tour bus. So we didn't really get to meet that much. Uh, but the friendliest, the, uh, Joe, Joe Joe, Strummer and Mick Jones were, were the most approachable. Which Joe particularly was very, very nice. He would come and talk to us all the time. You guys okay? You need anything? You know, and then talk. He would talk a lot about uh, asking us about about the war, about trouble, the troubles. You know, in Northern Ireland, he's very interested in all that, the politics. The as you'd expect, actually, but like he wanted to, you know our slant on it, well, our opinion and things like that. So lovely, lovely guy. Really, really nice. And like I say, we probably would have been really good friends if if we were allowed to do six weeks with him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that was scuppered. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what an opportunity! Well, I'm. I hope that maybe one day the undertones can at least make it to Japan. So do I. We we actually did make it to, to get this again.
1: I <laughs> like we we did make it to Japan in 2000 and, Oh God, I can't remember 7 or 10, 2007 or 2010 um, for just three shows, but. Billy didn't come with us, our drummer. So we didn't, we did it with stand in drummer. It was a friend of ours. And it was okay. It was good, but it wasn't the same. So we have yet to go back to Japan properly with the, you know, with the
0: lineup now. Who knows? Maybe it'll happen. I hope it does. Um, I love the new music. When I, when I put it on, I, I I listened to the last two weeks and I thought, like, I put it on and I walk in and out of the room and I keep hearing different things. And um, it just keeps, keeps rewarding with each consecutive lesson and i just i love i love what the what you've done and and um congratulations on it because i think it's marvelous thank
1: you thank you very much thanks yeah
0: (laughs) and i really appreciate you talking to me and and being so open and so cool to chat with i i really appreciate that
1: i really enjoyed that i really really thank you great questions actually really great questions
0: That was a great conversation. Damian O'Neill. What an awesome guy. Really love that chat. And I love his new album. And Crown. I believe I'm pronouncing it correctly. A-N. Another word. C-R-A-N-N. And it means the tree or a tree. And I'm pronouncing it uh, to the best of my knowledge. I believe I'm doing okay. uh, But I've uh, believed I was doing okay before. And you guys have written in and said, well, you mangled that one. So I do recognize that I potentially have mangled the name of his album. So let's just go with a tree. Uh, Pick it up. It is fantastic. DamianO'Neill.Bandcamp.com. Damian with an A. O'Neill with two L's. D-A-M-I-A-N-O-N-E-I-L-L.Bandcamp.com. The album is It's just unbelievable. I love it so much. I've listened to it a hundred times. And every time I listen, something new emerges. Doesn't that sound like a nice experience? Every every listen, something emerges. Who knows what it is? Uh, do check it out. Do get it. You will not be upset that you did. AlexGreenOnline.com is where you need to go to find out what's happening with me. You can email me, editor at com or follow me on Twitter at EmbersEditor or on Instagram at Ember's podcast, and I believe those are all the ways to deal with me. Uh, bombshellradio.com is where you need to go to find out what makes our radio station tick. Stereo Embers, the podcast, I know I tell you this every time, but nothing's changed. We are available on all podcast platforms. Go to the one that you use, subscribe, rate and review, and tell all your friends. Let's close the show with another title I'll probably be mangling, Mas O Menos is the name of the song. Let's listen to it in full from Damian O'Neill's brand new album. Enjoy it, and thank you as always for listening. To Stereo Embers, the podcast only right here on Bombshell Radio.